0: Well, here we are. We're at the end of April. Uh, our April series really was focusing uh, on the on the end of Jesus' life, and so Good Friday, we of course we remember the suffering of Jesus. We remember his torture, his crucifixion. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. We celebrate that Jesus emerged victoriously over the grave. Um, and I and I am I'm excited. You know, a lot of people they're like, well, you know, Easter's over. You know what? That's just the beginning, isn't it? Easter is just the beginning of ultimately what God wants to do in our lives. And it started with the resurrection, but it goes on from there. And you know, I, I thought about that. I thought up Easter, you know, we come to church and 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 in the church world, okay, let me let me liken Easter and compare it to other Easter is the Super Bowl of church, okay? That just just people, you know, just it's just it's different. I can't explain it because we're celebrating Jesus resurrection. It is just the the best Sunday of the year, but people go home after Easter Sunday. And and if you're like my family, you have a you have a big old ham in the oven. And then you watch your kids, you know? Open their Easter baskets if you haven't already done that, and and that's that's kind of your day. But the question that I want to ask is, well, what, what happens next? You see, Jesus didn't just stop being alive, right? When we left our story, Jesus is alive. He didn't just stop being alive. So what happens next? And so this morning, what I want to look at is I want to look at six things that Jesus did in his final hours before he departed that are really important to us, okay? Are you with me? If you want to take notes, there should be, uh, they're tucked in your bulletin, there should be something for you to take notes on. Uh, if you're using the UVersion Live app, you can search for, for uh, this service, and you can find that and pull that up, but I want you to follow along. We got some good stuff here. First thing, and I've got six points. Number one, and you might think, well, duh, Okay, number one, he appeared to them. But I want you to follow me, okay? I want you to follow me. Over the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, not only did he appear to Mary, not only did he appear to the disciples, he appeared to as many as 500 at one time, the Apostle Paul tells us. Some scholars believe that during that 40-day period that Jesus appeared To thousands of people, okay. I want you to grasp this because remember what we talked about last week that Jesus died, that He was. In the grave. That he rose from the grave. And when you have someone that you saw who died and was buried. And they are now back to life appearing to thousands around the city. That is going to cause a great stir. Okay. I was just thinking about social media. And, and how in Jerusalem in the first century they, they didn't have uh, they didn't have social media. You know. Our missionary said you you can follow them on all platforms. You know, some of you are like what are all platforms? You know, I've got Facebook but I don't know what they're talking about. There are so many different social media platforms. Well, in Jerusalem in the 1st century there was one and it was mouth to mouth. It was face to face. It was talking to someone who had seen something and the word would have spread throughout the city. Literally, I believe the city of Jerusalem was set ablaze by what had been happening to Jesus. The news would have been breaking news. Don't you like that? You turn on the news and every 30 seconds someone says this, breaking news. And you're like, I heard that two weeks ago. Can we get on to something you know, new here? But it would have been breaking news. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote that first century Jerusalem, the population of the city was approximately 600,000 people. And that city was was just, it was just on fire with the news of what had happened to Jesus. Now, I wanna I wanna just focus real quickly on two particular appearances that Jesus made. And he made them literally on the first day of his resurrection. One is recorded in John chapter 20. It's on the first day, the tomb is now emptied, and and it's been discovered. And Jesus now appears to a woman named Mary Magdalene. She was one that Jesus had set free from seven demons. She's still by the tomb. A man approaches her and speaks to her. And she says to him, sir, if you have taken his body away, please tell me where you have laid him so that I can go get him. And she does not, in the midst of her grief, she does not recognize that she is talking to Jesus. And what does Jesus do that only he can do? He speaks her name. And she knows immediately who he is. He simply says, Mary. And she knows that it's him. I want you to hold on to that thought for just a second. Would you do that? You see, there's also a couple of other people that Jesus appeared to in Luke chapter 24. And these two guys were walking from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. And it's about a seven-mile journey. And so that journey, you know, I don't know about your legs, but my legs can comfortably walk about three and a half miles an hour. So that would have taken them at least, maybe you're bigger and you can walk faster, but that would have taken me at least a couple of hours, okay, to do that walk. So they're, they're walking there. Every, they've seen everything that has happened to Jesus. The city is ablaze. And all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, another guy appears with them, and he just begins to walk with them. And we know, this because the story tells us, that it's Jesus. And he says to them, they don't recognize him, he said, hey guys, what are you talking about? And they said, dude, are you from out of town? Really, do you not know what has been happening in the city of 600,000 people that has been turned on its ear? They could not believe that someone didn't know. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 31. It says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus appeared to them but they couldn't tell that it was him and then he opened their eyes. Let me tell you this, Jesus is still in the business of opening people's eyes to him. Are you with me? Isaiah chapter 42 verse 7 Talking about the purpose of a Messiah to open the eyes that are blind. To set the captives free from prison and release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus still wants to open people's eyes so that they might see who he is. So that they might know who he is. God continues to reveal himself to everyone who would see it and he does it through creation. The scripture says that the trees clap their hands. They declare, creation declares the greatness of God. He does it through his word. He even speaks to our conscience, declaring to us that there must be a God. He's in the business of revealing himself. And so the same way he did to Mary, the same way he did to the two on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is still revealing himself today. Maybe you're here and you think, man, I I just feel like God is hiding from me. Believe me, God is not hiding from you. Scripture says that You will seek him and find him when you seek him with all your heart. Jesus desires to be found. You may have relatives that do not know Jesus. You may have children or a spouse that don't know the Lord. And you're like, God, please reveal yourself. Trust me, he is working to reveal himself. Revelation 3, I say it all the time. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and do what? Knock. He is revealing himself to mankind number two that was good by the way if that was all you got this morning that right there that is worth it okay and it didn't even take 10 minutes you're like well then wrap it up preacher let's go number two he confirmed that he was alive so our two guys that are on the road to emmaus after jesus reveals himself to them they're having dinner in emmaus and it's not the scripture says that it's nighttime. You can read it in Luke chapter twenty four. And what do, what do they do? Jesus just disappears out of nowhere. And what do they do? Well, we got to go back and tell the disciples. Well, they're seven miles away from Jerusalem, and it's getting dark. They got a two hour. They get up. They walk the two hours because they were average size guys like me. They walk the two hours back to Jerusalem. Okay. Why? So they can tell the disciples. They find them all gathered together and they come into the room and they begin to share with them. Hey, you know what? We were on the road to Emmaus, and this guy just appears and, and something burned within our hearts. We we thought there's something special about this guy, and then all of a sudden he opened our eyes and we saw that it was Jesus. Guys, he's alive. And you think it can't get any more of an electric moment. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room with them. He's there. He's there in the flesh with them. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse number 36, it says, while they were still talking about this. You ever notice God is a God of good timing? You ever notice that? Listen, he may not be early, but he's never late. I'm going to guarantee you that. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. What are the chances that while they're still talking about what had just happened two hours earlier, that Jesus could come and stand in the midst of them? It's the same chances that when you are praying god i need you god i need you to confirm to me that you are alive that he will show up just in time to confirm that he is alive you know if you look at that whole thought of them them being afraid if you look at that in the greek the greek translation there for their fear is totally freaked out just trust me it's in the greek you probably won't get it because it's just all Greek to you. Jesus acknowledges their fears. He brings to the, the existence of their doubts onto the table. What do we do with doubt? We're like, that's back here. Yeah, I'm just going to put that back here, right? Not Jesus. Jesus took it, puts it on the table. Why? Because he's not afraid of your doubt you realize that you doubt him he's not afraid of that he's not nervous about that he's not scared because you doubt him what does Jesus do he confirms the fact that he's real he acknowledges their fears he brings their doubts to the table he's not afraid to talk about your doubts either Jesus is big enough for you to say to him, I doubt what you've done. I doubt who you are. He's big enough to handle that. I want you to understand that. So how could Jesus confirm to these people? How could he do it? How could he confirm to them that he was alive? You see, they saw him die. All right? They were with Joseph At least one or two of them were with Joseph of Arimathea when they took him down from the cross. They knew that he was dead. Undoubtedly, they checked his pulse. I'm telling you, they checked his, why? They wanted wanted to know, is he really dead? They laid him in the tomb. They saw the tomb get sealed. They knew that there were Roman guards there. They knew that Jesus had died and was buried. How could Jesus confirm that it was him and that he was alive? I'll tell you how. He said, check my scars, boys. Because you're not getting scars like this if you haven't gone through crucifixion. Put your hand in my side. Hey, touch, touch my hands, touch my feet. And he said, go ahead, touch him." He confirmed to them that he was alive. And he can confirm to you that he is still alive today. In fact, I believe that he does that time and time again to us. We read in John chapter 20, verse 30, that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. In Acts 1, we read it last week, verse 6 after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a 40 a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom. Jesus knew their uh, their doubts. He addressed them head on and he dispelled their doubts and their fears. And I want you to know I believe that if you are struggling to believe that Jesus is alive or if God really cares about you, you don't have to run away from him. You don't have to say, well, I doubt. I guess I can't go to him. No. Take those doubts right to him. Be honest and say, you know what? God, I'm doubting today. And I believe that God will dispel your doubts and your fears. Don't run away from him. Take your doubts and your fears right to him. And he is going to say to you what he said to the disciples. Just reach out your hands and touch me and know that I'm real. Why? Because he doesn't doesn't want you to continue to doubt. He wants to dispel those doubts in your life. Number three, he restored them. He restored them. John chapter 21, it records one of the times that Jesus appeared to his disciples during the 40 days. The disciples decided, a bunch of them, they, they said, you know what, let's go fishing. That's a man response right there. Women, it's like, you know, hey, you know, the world's falling apart. Well, how, what does your husband say? Let's go fishing. Let's just go fishing. Fishing is the cure-all, okay? They decided they'd go fishing. They went out in the boat, and they didn't fish with rods and reels. They fish with nets. And so they went out, and they're throwing that net out all night long, and what did they catch? It was just like a men's ministry's ice fishing day. Zip. The truth, you know, we kinda No, no, I shouldn't say that. There there have been a couple, a couple little little ones. They didn't catch anything. And so as the story goes, they they're they, they've caught nothing but Jesus appears on the shore, make a short story shorter. He he tells them, throw your nets on the right side. I would have been ticked off by this, but that's what he, he said. Throw it on the right side. And they didn't say, man, we've been here all night. Do you think we haven't thrown them on the right side? But they go ahead and they do it. They throw it on the right side. The Bible says that their catch of fish was so big that it almost sank the boat. Trying to pull it into shore. John whispers to Peter, it's the Lord. John, John had some intuition, man. His just he, was, he had something going on. Peter was the emotional guy. Uh, the Bible says that literally Peter had taken off his clothes to do his fishing. He put something around his waist. Thank you, Peter, for not being totally naked. You know. And, and he jumps into the water and he goes to the shore. They get to the shore. Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. Shore lunch is the greatest thing on the face of the earth when you're fishing. And they know that it's Jesus. You see, remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he told Peter that he would deny him three times. Do you remember that? The scripture tells us that the first time it was just to a a very young girl who was standing at the gate, keeping the gate, Then there were some officials that were gathered around a fire. He denied Jesus, knowing Jesus again to them. The third time was one of the high priest's servants who he was there when Jesus was arrested and he remembered that Peter had pulled a knife. And Peter once again denied Jesus. The Bible says that the rooster crowed. I want you to imagine how bad Peter felt. Peter realized that he talked a big game, but he really didn't follow through on it. He had denied Jesus. Luke chapter 22, verse 61, it says the Lord turned. This is during his torture, during his trial. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The shame that Peter went through must have been awful that night as literally Jesus looked right at him after his third denial. Imagine the shame. Now that Jesus has risen from the dead, Peter wonders... Will Jesus accept me? I've denied him. Maybe I'm going to come to shore and I'm going to find out that he really doesn't want me around anymore. But Peter wanted to get to it. Let's find out. Let's get to it. Peter, as he approaches, Jesus has prepared the breakfast. There's this awkward moment of silence during breakfast. I hate awkward moments of silence. I generally try to fill them with talk because that's me but there was that awkward moment and Jesus asks Peter a question Peter do you love me i imagine that that just just was like a knife in peter's heart he said yes lord i love you jesus said feed my lambs now Peter might be thinking, okay, we got through that one, okay. Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Probably stung pretty good again, Jesus said, feed my sheep. A third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then he says, follow me. Jesus was restoring this one who had denied him. I want you to think about that. He didn't leave Peter dangling in the wind like one of those chimes on your back porch. Maybe you feel like your past mistakes, your past failures haunt you the way that Peter's failures haunted him. Maybe when no one else is around and it's just you, in your own mind, you go over those mistakes that you've made in your life. Maybe no one else even knows about them. But those are failures that you think, I'm not really sure if God can forgive me for that. I want you to know, that God desires to forgive us. He desires to restore us to himself. You say, but wait a second, I, why would he forgive me? How could he forgive me? Will he forgive me? Paul said in Galatians chapter one, he said this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. Now let me, let me tell you this, do you think that God would have us do in the church what he is not willing to do himself? would not so the idea of restoring someone gently is is something that God desires to do when we fail and when we sin God desires to restore us to himself and you might feel like what you've done is so bad and so grievous that God could never forgive you but I want you to know today that there is nothing nothing that he will not forgive you for. He desires to draw you to himself. Number four, he commissioned them. In his final hours on the earth, Jesus begins to turn toward the future. Matthew 28, 19, therefore, 19 and 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Acts 1, 8, the second half of the verse, he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm sure that these uneducated local yokels, that were Jesus' followers were intimidated by these words. How could Jesus ever use me to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I am not gifted enough. Well, I want you to understand something. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how talented you are. It's not about how worthy you are. It is about obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be talented enough to do anything. But I believe that God calls you and I. And he calls us to take the gospel throughout Harvey, Marquette County, the Upper Peninsula, and the world. And you and I, we just sent somebody to Thailand Are you with me? You get what I'm saying? May 9th, we're going to feed the hungry. Jesus did it. We have that opportunity. Together, we can do what he's called us to do. Number five, he promised the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days with his disciples, Jesus reminded them of a promise that was made earlier. Luke chapter 24, he said, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Remember John the Baptist? He said, you know what? I baptize you with water, but there is someone who's coming that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus was reminding them that the the gift that the Father had provided for them was going to be coming and it wasn't just for them but it was for their families and it was for the generations that were to come and that they should not leave Jerusalem until they get it and that power would enable them to be his witnesses through all the earth. Acts 2.39 the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off To for all whom the Lord our God will call. That includes you and that includes me and that gift of the Holy Spirit has power in it that will help us to be his witnesses amen? amen. Number six He left them with the promise to return. Moments after reminding them of the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says that Jesus was taken up into a cloud. And these guys were just standing there, and I think they were doing what what any of us would do. They just kept focusing on Jesus. Jesus is getting further and further away and harder and harder to see and they're probably squinting, they're probably shielding their eyes from the sun maybe and they're, they're really trying to, to just have that last glimpse of Jesus before he's ultimately gone and as they're staring up there at the sky, the Bible says that two men in white stood there with them. We know that these are angels And these angels asked a very profound question. What are you guys looking at? What are you looking at? I mean, this is their their friend. This is their Savior, their Messiah, their rabbi, their teacher. They watched him die. They saw him buried. They've seen evidence that he's alive, and now he's, he's disappearing into the clouds. What do you mean, what are we looking at? We're looking at Jesus. They said, well, he's coming back the same way he left. He's coming back. That's the final promise that we have. I love these verses. I read them so frequently, and and you are, uh, I'm, I'm sure you can either quote them or you're bored to death of them, but John chapter 14, Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have Told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. One day he is going to return, the Bible says, with a shout, with the trumpet call of God. He is going to break through those clouds again and he's going to take his church to be with him. What a promise! What a promise! So, he reveals, he convinces, he restores, he commissions, he promises his Holy Spirit, and he promises his return. I'll tell you what, man, those last days, those, those final hours, those were pretty important to you and I as the church because Jesus and, and, and it follows, up. I just realized this morning as I'm going over my notes, I'm like, hey dummy, this, this is a chronological thing. He starts by revealing himself and then he confirms it and he continues to move and he commissions us and he gives us the power we need and then he says, I'm coming back. It's chronological. And so we're, we're in there, we're somewhere, each of us, we're in there. Either he's still trying to reveal himself to us, or we are standing here waiting for his return, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're somewhere in there. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to have the worship team lead us. Say, Pastor, I realize that I'm I'm somewhere in there. I'm either still on the one end, just waiting to have him reveal himself to me, Maybe I'm I'm waiting for him to confirm it. I I, I just, I've got doubts and I I need, he's revealed himself, but I'm still struggling and I need to get through those doubts. Wherever you are on this spectrum, this morning I want to pray with you and I want to, I want to believe that God Wants to do something in you today. Maybe you say, Pastor, I I, I just, I don't think that the things that I've done that God ultimately will be able or wants to forgive me. God wants to restore you today. But I believe that he wants to do something powerful in you today. Maybe you've never been filled with his Holy Spirit. Mm, man, God wants to do that in you today. Maybe you've been getting tired of the journey. He wants to remind you that he's coming back. He's coming back. This morning, we go to prayer. Say, Pastor, pray for me today. Pray for me that God will, will take me through these final hours of his time here on earth and that he will move me from where I am to where he wants me to be.